good morning. Good to see you today and continuing in our series on starting over. Now, we've been in the series for four weeks, and so we're starting over, starting over, we're starting over, and we're starting over again. But this passage will, I think, uh, speak to your heart because it's a particular verse that we've kind of landed on in regard to this whole series, and it's been mentioned um, several times, and so we're going to end up discovering in depth what Romans 8.28 means. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, either uh, on your phone or tablet, or uh, we'll have the words up on the screen for you as well. You remember the movie The Lion King, right? You got the animated movie. Of course, there's a realistic one that's come out recently. And you've got King Mufasa and his son Simba, right? And then you've got Nala and some of the other friends of Simba's. And you've got the the evil Uncle Scar, right? And kind of run that uh, movie through your mind and remember it. Um, recently, I was uh, with one of my younger granddaughters, and we were going to watch a movie. And I said, what movie do you want to watch? And she said, the Simba movie. I said, oh, The Lion King? No, the Simba movie. <laughs> okay, the Simba movie. And so I start the Simba movie, and about 10 minutes into it, uh, as young children now are digital natives, they know how to use the remote, right? So she grabs the remote, and she starts fast-forwarding it. Fast-forward, fast-forward, fast-forward. And I said, honey, what are you doing? She says, well, I don't want to see the scary parts. I just want to see the happy ending. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, and I thought I was being very profound I, as this fast-forwarding. <laughs> I said, you know, honey, um, what happens in the middle of the movie to Simba as he grows up and he learns lessons and he makes decisions, some good ones, some bad ones, but they all work together for good for him to become the Lion King that he was destined to be. I thought that was good. But she said, uh, I don't care. I don't want to watch the scary parts. <laughs> and so we watched the last five minutes of the movie and it was done. And so, as the credits were rolling, though, I looked at my granddaughter, who has her whole life ahead of her, and I'm thinking, she's not going to be able to fast forward through her life to the happy ending. And she's going to have to physical pain, Emotional pain, relational pain, probably some financial pain, pain. And I whispered a prayer that she would find the purpose in the pain. Because like no other verse in the New Testament, Romans 8.28 shows us what it means to find purpose in the pain. And so as we look at this particular Verse, I want you to recognize that part of starting over 
is starting over after you've experienced pain. And that's going to be starting over uh, many, many times in your life. If you don't start over, you get stuck. And you get stuck on a road of despair. It's kind of like you're driving down the interstate highway in one direction and you're just stuck. It's like you don't even see the off-ramps that Jesus is giving you. The overpass and the on-ramp to go the other way, which could be for you a road of destiny, a perspective. You would see the road in a different way, and it would be still the pain, but there's purpose there. And that's what this Bible verse talks about. I was driving down the interstate the other day, and somebody had done graffiti on the overpass. You know how they do? And somebody had written Romans 8, 28. And I think that's significant because Jesus will give you an overpass to be able to get off a road to despair and pain and suffering, either of your own making or something you couldn't control, but you can get off and you can go over that overpass and get back on and go another way. And you can see purpose in your pain. And so Jesus provides us the overpass, which is Romans 8.28. So we're talking about starting over, right? And I think starting over starts with thinking things over, all right? We got to um, do a little um, exercise of rethinking some things, probably. Thinking over God's word, again, Romans 8.28, and we're going to be thinking over your life, your pain. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to call upon you today to ponder the greatest pain in your life right now. We'll get to that, but we will get on the other side of it too. Because we'll be thinking over God's word applying to your life. So if, you, if you've got your Bible there in Romans 8, I want you to see the context here. Um, Romans 8, 28 is sandwiched between the beginning verse and near the end verse, and it's beautiful the way Romans chapter 8 shows us a positive sense even in pain. And it starts with, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So if this morning you belong to Christ Jesus, you know him as your Savior, then there, there's no condemnation, uh, there's no hell in your eternal future. There's only heaven. And even in our day, in your day, our uh, lives, there doesn't need to be condemnation. When we go through problems and pain and trouble and, and things that just hurt us to the core, we often blame ourselves. Or we end up blaming somebody else. Whatever it is, we, we start condemning. But Jesus says there's no condemnation. And then at the end of the verse in 838, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Isn't that a great verse? <laughs> the Apostle Paul wrote this, by the way. He knew that back in the first century. We can know that in the 21st century, that nothing can separate us. Your pain cannot separate you from Jesus. 
And so as we look at the verse itself, now let's look at, at this particular verse and, and let's take parts of it and understand them better. Uh, theologians call it exegesis. And exegesis is taking and breaking down a particular uh, Bible verse to understand what it means. And so, notice, we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Before we get into that in particular, uh, I had an experience some years ago where I was asked to speak at a pastor's conference in Grand Rapids. And there was another gentleman that had been asked as well. There's going to be two days. I was going to speak the first day. He was going to speak the second day. They said, speak on whatever you want. And I didn't know what he was going to speak on. He didn't know what I was going to speak on. It was, they were going to both be Bible messages, but we didn't know what topics. We just were going to come. And so I'm, I'm driving down 94 on my way to Grand Rapids in my black Grand Am. I love that car. And don't have it anymore. I'm just cruising along, and all of a sudden I have no power under my uh, the gas pedal. And it's power's coming in and out. So I've got my flashers on. I'm pulling over, trying to figure out what it is. And some of you that are mechanics will understand the fuel pump was going out. All right, so I figured that's what it was. So, you know, I'm halfway there, and I have to get off, find a mechanic, and the mechanic said, yeah, I can fix it, but not till tomorrow. And I'm thinking, oh, man. So I call the leader of the pastor's conference. I say, hey, I'm not going to be able to be there till tomorrow. And he so he said, we'll just switch you as speakers. The other guy will speak first. You'll speak the next day, tomorrow. And so as... As I spent money getting motel room, woke up, and that next morning spend money on the car repair. That was a pain. <laughs> got back on the road. I got there in time for this other gentleman who had, had just finished his message, and I was going to speak the next day. And I talked to him in the back of, of that church, and I said, oh, brother, good to see you. What would you preach on? He said, I preached on Genesis. The Lord said, preach on Genesis. The beginning, how God started it all. And I thought, wow. Because I'm preaching on Revelation. How God ended it all. And will end it all. And, and he said, wow, that's a God thing. And I hear that you were, you know, uh, because of car trouble. That's a God thing. God worked that out, didn't he? And I said, yes, he did. I want to pay for my car repairs and my motel bill. <laughs> he didn't want to. But um, that was God arranging it. A little bit of pain found purpose. And after that conference was over, people said, wow, that's the way it should have been. We got the beginning and the end. And it was awesome. You know, I know, I realize that our pain can be much more than a car repair bill or a motel bill. I understand that. But I want you to see the example of how God orchestrates things in our lives. You've got to be able to look back in your life and, and see that God put things in order and 
delayed you for a reason and put you in a place for a reason. And he does things for a reason. Jesus does things on purpose in our lives. We've got to grab hold of that because if we don't, we're going to drown in our The life preserver is purpose. We need to hang on to that. Well, let's look at Romans 8.28, and let's, let's look at some particular words and phrases here, right? And we know, we know that God causes everything to work together. We know, we, who are the we here? Think it over. We know means believers in God and his son Jesus. The Greek word ido here means seeing that becomes knowing. Seeing that becomes knowing. And so unless you're a follower of Jesus, you probably don't understand this whole idea of purpose and pain because life is is full of good and bad and you just kind of take it as it comes. But in reality, uh, this Bible verse is for believers who know that they know that they know that, that Jesus has taken care of them. They've seen it happen in their life. And they can, they can look back and they can say, yes, he took care of me and he can take care of me again. Might be a different problem, but he's the problem solver. It might be pain, but he is the the purpose and he can bring purpose to that if we go on in the verse we see that we know that God causes everything to work together for good you ever seen that God causes think it over that means God's in control and Isaiah 14 24 said now check this out it will all happen as I have planned God says it will be as I have decided. That it is whatever it is in your life. You can apply it to your life now. Apply it to my life now. God is in control. Now, some of you might think, okay, then he causes the pain. I don't think so. I think he causes the purpose to come out of pain. It was never God's intent when he created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve, for there to be any pain. In fact, he told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. Eat of the tree of life. They could have been immortal and procreated immortal uh, human family, if you will, with no pain ever. And yet, they gave in. They were disobedient and ate of the fruit, not because they wanted to taste the fruit, they wanted to be like God. In fact, that's what Satan, in the form of a serpent in the garden, told them, you and you'll be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. It created jealousy and pride in them. So after that great mistake, obviously with a capital M, that great mistake brought the curse of sin. And the curse of sin generally over humanity down through the generation causes all of the pain that we see around us. Lives of others, the world, you watch the news and you can see some pain. And it's all because of the curse of sin. Now, 
after you come to know Jesus as your Savior, that curse is taken from you so you will not suffer the consequences of that in hell. And you are given the hope of a, of a life in heaven and also a life of meaning and purpose through your days on earth. And God will take what you suffer and he will make it into something. He will transform it. And it's going to happen how he's planned it. And he's already decided. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows when you'll draw your last breath on this earth. And he knows every problem you will suffer in your life. And he is, listen now, he's going to prepare a purpose in that pain ahead of time. But you've got to look for it. You've got to discover it. And I know it's a little bit of work, but we're not saying it's easy, but we're saying it's worth it to look at the pain you're suffering and say, oh, Lord, what is the purpose? And show me what the purpose is. And then look for it, and it will show up. Now we go on and we see that God causes everything to work together for good. Every, think it over. Everything means all things, good and bad. Everything always means everything and has always meant everything and everything is everything and it is good and bad together. It's a mixture. And I know it. thanking the Lord for good things is easy, right? And enjoying the good things is easy. Enduring the hard things, the bad things, uh, even Thanking God for the bad things, that's, that's hard. Sometimes we don't even want to do that. Why would we even think about that? Why would we thank God for everything? Well, the Bible tells us not to thank God for everything like a bad thing. You're not forgetting, you're, you're not asking him to bless something bad, but you're, you're, thanking him in it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, you might want to mark it down, read it later, but it's pretty simple. It's only four words. In everything give thanks. We hear this at Thanksgiving time, right? In everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Check it out. It is telling us that in everything, good and bad, be thankful. Not about it, not for it, that wouldn't be making any sense. But it, it does make sense to be thankful for something that, that Jesus can transform into a purposeful um, outcome. And you may not see the purpose in your pain right now, and guess why? Because you're not God. And so we got to come to the conclusion. Remember the movie Rudy? Uh, he went to Notre Dame and ended up playing in one game, and it was a really, really cool ending. But Rudy, that character, went to, went to church one day, and the pastor told him, of course, he had been cut from the team and all this, and he was 
disappointed. He was in pain, great emotional pain. And that pastor said, son, you're not God. If you were, you'd understand this. But just wait for him to bring understanding. And he did for that character in that movie. And it was a happy ending, by the way. And also in our lives, we may never star in a movie, but our life is kind of like a drama, right? And we can see that there will be conflict. Any drama, be it a movie, a book, a screenplay, whatever, has conflict. If you don't have conflict, then you don't have anything interesting to think about. And yet, generally, in most of these movies or books or screenplays, the, the conflict is resolved in a particular way. Maybe the way you like it or not, but it's resolved. And I'm here to tell you, in the screenplay of life, if you will, Jesus is there to write in an ending for you where your pain will have purpose. Let's go on in the verse. It says everything uh, to work together for good. Think it over. Work together for good means God can make good and bad things have purpose. They go together. If you cook, you go to your kitchen and you're going to make a recipe, when you pull it out, it doesn't say all the same things. You've got different things that you put in there. And now when my wife and I cook in the kitchen, and I'm helping her put things together in the mixing bowl, <clears throat> there's some things I don't want in there, <laughs> because I don't like them. And she said, don't worry, you won't taste it. It'll all taste good, because that will add to the rest of the ingredients, and it'll, it'll taste better. So I trust her, and we mix it together, and we cook it, and she's right. You know, we need to trust Jesus that he things up in our life together so that they come out delicious, if you will. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine who restores boats. He buys boats at the junkyard or online or finds one sitting behind some barn, and he, this boat has not been in the water for years, and it's fallen apart. He takes that boat, and he restores it, takes it to his garage, and he redoes the engine, and he redoes the, the body of the boat. He paints it, and he gets it certified, and then he sails it. It hits the water. And now it's back to where it was supposed to be, in the water, not sitting on the ground behind some barn. If you don't think Jesus can do that in your life, you're mistaken, because he can. And he will take what you think is a, a life that will never mean anything, because you've had to go through this, or you've made a mistake, or you've failed. Jesus can restore that. <clears throat> Even out of the pages of the Old Testament in a familiar psalm, Psalm 23, it says, He restores my soul, right? Psalm 23.3, He restores my soul. Do you need your soul restored? Sometimes we do. And He can do that. As we go on in Romans 8.28, we see 
it's for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Think it over. For those who love God and are called, what's that mean? It means this purposeful planning is only for believers in Jesus. Oh, that's too exclusive. Well, sorry, but it's Bible. And it's true. And it it has to be true because if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're not going to understand what the Bible says because you don't have spiritual understanding because you don't have Jesus in your life help you understand the Bible. <clears throat> and you won't understand what's happening in your life and you'll just act and react and act and react and just kind of fumble through life and always in that quest to be happy and that quest to have the ideal, to get what I want, bucket list, whatever it is. You know, when you get old enough, and nowadays I think it's a younger age than before and years ago, it's, it's, it's real. When you, when you come to a point in your life and you say, I don't have any purpose. Why was I born? In fact, the, the two most important days in your existence are the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. Let that sink in. You know, I know why I was born. I was born to be right here doing what I'm doing right now, plus other things in the ministry. And I discovered that way back in 1978. And I rejoice in a life that was lived on purpose. Not perfect, not without problems, not without pain, but I was able to discover, even in my mid-20s, that following Jesus was the best thing, and he will direct me, and he did. <clears throat> but I needed to be a believer first. I knew that came first. Was I called into the ministry and then became a believer in Jesus? No. It's not logical. I became a believer in Jesus in 1976. Then I was called in the ministry in 1978. And asked logically because I cannot discover my destiny without knowing Jesus. This holds destiny in his hand and gives it to you. Taking it. You understand what he's giving you. You see his extended hand. And I know um, mid-20 folks, mid-30 folks, millennials in particular, they take the assessments and the surveys and the bottom line for them is I want to live a life of purpose. <clears throat> I want my life to mean something. And I think that's a generation that's rediscovering purpose. And that's good, but I hope they look in the right place. So that's Romans 8, 28. 
And so we take that, and now we want to think over our pain. I want you to indulge me here, and I want you to trust me here. I ask you to do something in a sense of reflection. Let's, let's just close our eyes, all right? Just close our eyes. And I, and I want you to think of the hardest thing in your life right now, the hardest thing that's going on in your life right now, your biggest pain. It could be something you've done, a failure. Maybe it's somebody in your life. <clears throat> maybe it's financial, whatever. It is. Maybe it's health, whatever. And just think about it and visualize a scene that surrounds that pain. Maybe you see a person, a place, thing, whatever. Visualize that. Okay, you see that? That's where your pain lives right now, today. In particular, that's what's been on your mind even when you woke up this morning. And then I want you to look in that scene for Jesus. Now, trust me here. Look around in that scene with still your eyes closed and look for Jesus. Find Jesus in that memory or that thought, that pain. And notice that he's saying something. And you walk towards him, he walks towards you, and you hear him say, all things work together for good. My child, all things work together for good. I give you peace. Peace I give you. There's purpose in your pain. Trust me. Okay, you can open your eyes now. What, what did that do for you? Did that give you a sense of Jesus can be right there in the midst of your pain? And that those things that he just said to you are right out of Scripture, by the way. And I encourage you to take that reflection that you just did and allow it to sink in and give you an understanding that, that all things can work together for good and Jesus will make that happen. In fact, in, in John 14, 27, Notice what Jesus says. And he says this to you even today. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. That bad memory, that regret, that guilty conscience that you just reflected on, that that health scare, that financial uh, difficulty that's looming, that bad news that you got recently, whatever it is, Jesus says, don't let that trouble you. Don't be afraid of it because I can give you peace in the midst of that. Mean that he will necessarily take the pain away right away, but he's going to give it purpose and 
Yes, you can pray, Lord, please take this pain away. And yet also pray, show me the purpose in this pain. Show me what it means. Show me how it can transform me into a better person. You know, here's an interesting quote. <laughs> and you can think of the, the clam and the oyster and the pearl inside. No grit, no pearl, right? The way we see it, life happens to us. The way Jesus sees it, life happens for us. Jesus is for you. The good things that happen to you are for you. Even the bad things that happen to you are can be made to be for you. It can, it can all be on your behalf to your benefit. And, you know, the natural pearl in the ocean forms when an oyster gets a, a, a gritty irritant that gets inside the shell and is inside there uh, and it's irritating the oyster. So the oyster secretes a fluid to coat that irritant and coat it again and coat it again and coat it again. Layer upon layer of this coating is deposited on that irritant until a beautiful pearl is formed. What's irritating you today? And it may be a small irritation, it may be a big irritation. But whatever it is, it can be a jewel in disguise. And that jewel is valuable. C.S. Lewis said, this about hardship. Hardship often prepares ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. Hmm. Now we're all ordinary people, right? But does Jesus have something extraordinary for you? I believe he does. I believe your life needs to be uh, an attempt to discover that. And it, it may unfold in your life, I understand that. Um, and I know you've got to do the things in life that you have to do. Get up in the morning, go to bed at night, and everything in between, go to work, pay your bills. I know that reality is there, and the mundane exists, and yet you know, we love it in the movies, don't we? When when there's some sense of destiny between two people and the romance of that, destiny between two friends, uh, destiny even between strangers, maybe one saves the life of another stranger. We see destiny in the movies all the time, and we think, wow, that's awesome. But don't miss the destiny in your life as it unfolds. And it's almost like Jesus is the director of your movie. And he's saying, action! And you're living your life. And conflict comes, 
the pain is there. But the director can always say, cut, print, we're done. And go on to a, another scene. There's a good, good thing that happened. Uh, personally, yeah, over the last 10 years, I've experiencing something. I mean, I had 30 years of ministry as a lead pastor in three different churches and um, enjoy some what pastor would say success in in coming from nowhere. I was I wasn't a believer till I was 19 years old. Didn't grow up in a Christian home. Had no understanding of the Bible. When I went to when I got saved went to Bible college I sat in Old Testament survey class not knowing anything about the Bible. Everybody around me knew the Bible and the assignment for the next day, not next week, the next day was to take out a piece of paper and write down all of the books of the Old Testament. And boy, was I studying that night because I had never really written them all down let alone memorize them. But I came the next day and I got it done. But I learned quickly. But after the Lord propelled me into a life that, that my family was surprised about, uh, for sure, and other people knowing me, my past was kind of a checkered past. And so I'm now in the ministry? Yes, okay. And so I'm moving through the years, through the decades, and finding a Christian lady to marry, having three beautiful children, and, and moving from one church to the other, um, you know, 10 years here, 14 years there, and coming to Michigan, and then ending up 10 years ago, about a little over 10 years ago now, the Lord saying, I want you to take your church and merge it with another church. And some know the story, but... Most here probably don't. But it was a very clear message from Jesus to take my church congregation and merge it with what was this church congregation back in the day in 2010. And we started praying about this in 2009. And a year of prayer and preparation and meeting together and leadership meetings together and and me and Pastor Billy meeting together, and me and my wife and his wife meeting together, and more prayer, and and we we communicated it to our congregations, and the vote was going to come, and the meeting was going to happen, and it was going to determine the 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 future of this merged church was going to be stronger than the two churches were on their own, where we, we were going to be better together. And it, all the details were written out, laid out, prayed over again, right before. And the meeting that we had at the church where I pastored, the vote fell short by only five percentage points, but it fell short. Was I not devastated? Indeed. Some of you in this room remember that meeting. 
I think you were devastated as well. And the whole discovery of a small group of people in my church that thwarted this vote was even disappointing. And yet, I had to admit that God allowed it. I didn't want to admit that, but I did. And so what do I see 10 years later? I see that, in a real way, the merger happened anyway with the people God wanted to get together, which became a reality shortly thereafter. And so a lot of the great people that I was pastoring in that church ended up going on over here to Calvary, and, and I'm still back there waiting out my notice to leave there because there was no future there. Only a few people left. And so I said, Lord, what are you doing in my life right now? I've been a lead pastor, and now I'm not. I resigned, and I don't have a, anywhere to go. At that church, and I wake up that next week, and I'm thinking, "This is a pain." <laughs> you know, I don't. I've never experienced this because I, I went from one church to the other, larger churches, and so forth. I wasn't used to this. This was an unusual pain for me, and so I was a little angry at God. I was a little disappointed in people, and. Uh, Pastor Billy and his father, Pastor Billy, <laughs> said, let's have lunch. So we went to eat, and they said, we think God's still in this. We want you to come on as executive pastor and be on pastoral staff full time. And that was seven days into me being unemployed, which I'd never been unemployed before. And I said, thank you, Jesus. But it was different. And, I, and I'm wondering, why? Uh, no longer a lead pastor, no longer preaching every Sunday. Um, and yet it unfolded. And it, it dawned on me uh, in the weeks to follow that I'd actually always been thinking about and praying about becoming part of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because I hadn't been. I saw that group of people uh, nationwide, worldwide, doing great things. I always wanted to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Also, I, I always wanted to... Mentor other pastors. I've had a little, I had a little experience with that, but I wanted to do more of that. I wanted to connect with other pastors and be able to counsel them and have them consult, so that I could help them in their ministry. And I had always wanted to be involved in church planting. I'd been involved in established churches. Or they called me to be their pastor. It wasn't a church plan. Starting a brand new church seemed intriguing. All three of those things, because of this pain, came true. 
And for the last 10 years or so, I've been living out that purpose that I didn't see then, but I see now, and it's unfolded. And so I have had the opportunity to become part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Not only that, be on staff at the Baptist State Convention of Michigan, which is the entity over the whole state. I've had the opportunity, and now do, to be the ministry director of Southern Southeastern Baptist Association, 18 pastors, 18 churches in Monroe County, and I'm mentoring pastors and, and counseling pastors and helping them do what they do. And then they, they tapped me to be a ministry coach for church planters. And so I'm involved in church planting that way. And then they got me involved in the assessment team, American Mission Board, where they recruit men to be church planters, be on that team that examines men that want to do that. And so all these things I've been doing for all these years since that pain. And I'm telling you, from experience, Jesus never disappoints. And I can praise him for taking me and putting me where he wants me to be. Do I wish I could preach every Sunday? Sure. Could I do what I'm doing now and do sermon prep every week? No. Jesus knew that. And so, a bit of emotional pain that I had, and a little ministerial pain that I had, that became very purposeful. And I can look back on my life and see that, that Jesus didn't make a mistake in that failed merger. It was really not a failure in his eyes. And not only me, but for people even sitting in this room that actually became deacons or continued being deacons and their wives, deacons' wives, finance committee members, and church greeters and nursery workers here in this place, worship team members, small group facilitators, uh, young people that have come out of that blend, if you will, that are right now up at Hiawatha Youth Camp. And so it goes. It goes God's way, and that's the best way. So as we wrap it up, I want to give you two takeaways. Two major takeaways here. Be the we who know Jesus as Savior. Remember the we? Only believers can understand this. And so if you're not a believer, some of this probably went over your head and missed your heart, and you don't quite understand it, and yet it is real, it is biblical, and it, it works. Because Jesus makes it work. And yet if you don't know Jesus, it won't work. And so today, if you need to know Jesus, I would encourage you today to pray and ask him to be your Savior. And maybe you're thinking right now, I'd like to do that. Like right now. Okay. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
If you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior for the first time in your life, or if you've wondered whether or not it was real last time you did it, here's your opportunity to make sure. And just to just pray a prayer like this. Whisper it to Jesus. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again from the dead, that you're alive right now. I take you as my Savior from my sin right now. Help me to grow in my faith. Help me to find a good church with others who love you. Help me now to see purpose in my pain. Thank you for coming into my life right now. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, uh, Jesus promised that he would come in to your life, and he did just now. I encourage you to tell somebody uh, about that decision that you just made. Another takeaway is believe that everything works together for good to those who follow Jesus as Lord. Now this is for believers to believe. It's something, listen, that believers don't always believe. They get stuck on that road to despair and just keep cruising when they should be turning around and going the other way and have a sense of positive purpose in your life so you can stop complaining, stop griping, and being in a bad mood, because that's no good for you or anybody else. You can be in a bad spiritual mood by blaming God even. You need to turn around, and maybe you need to pray as well. And so let's, let's do that. Let's bow again. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is for believers. You already know Jesus as your Savior, but you're having a problem with your pain. Just pray like this. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you're my Savior. I want to make you Lord of my life and everything. You know the pain that I've suffered. Help me to see the purpose in it. Reveal that to me even today. I want to turn around and go your way. And have faith that you're going to take care of me. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.